Hello, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. This is episode 47 of our podcast, Two Teachers Talking, where Tony and I get together and talk about basically our teaching and what we're doing and what we think's working, what we think's not working, pretty much more of the, the latter than the former. And today we're doing one of our international episodes, right, Tony? Yeah, because I'm sitting here in beautifully <laughs> climated Chicago, Illinois. And I'm still in Osaka, Japan. Yeah, yeah, and we, this is Yeah, we actually cracked forty degrees today. Unbelievable. Which is four degrees Celsius for you guys in Japan. Right. So you ran outside in a T shirt, right? Pretty much. Hmm. Nice and warm. <laughs> it's been real this... real winter here. It's been real winter. So cloudy, overcast, or oh cleared? no, 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 no. Well, today was beautiful. Today was a beautiful day, but um, no, no. Periods of you know severe cold and multiple snowfalls, lots of shoveling, lots of shivering. And you went there for your vacation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't think we want to go down that road. Well, I'm a teacher, right? I mean, connect the dots. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, what connect the dots? Um, excuse me, Hawaii, Bali, <laughs> tropical climates, a nice, uh, a Catholic nice high school pool. English teacher vacation in Chicago. Connect the dots. Anyway, um, go ahead. Be- letters four word, le- four letter word starts with P. Pain. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is one of those wonders of technology where um, something that couldn't have been done except for an incredibly large amount of money, I think, 20 years ago, right? Yeah, an international phone call. so much, right? right. And and, uh, by the way, we call. just passed um, March 12th, 25th, uh, 25th birthday of the Internet. The Internet's 25. 25 years old. Gee, I wish it would grow up. <laughs> Get out of adolescence or something. But right, the twenty fifth anniversary, Excellent. which uh, which which is you know related because we're going to talk about what are we going to talk about? Well, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I want to go back to can the internet actually have a birthday? Is there a moment when it was born? Why don't you go into that? I think uh, um, I don't. I can't I don't go know how into they it. Do I don't that. know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know exactly what they're using as the. As the birth date of the internet, I don't know if it's the first browser. I don't know if it was like when HTML was a recognized protocol. But of course, there was you know there's ARPANET and all that other stuff going back to the right. 60s. Yes, but exactly. There's some watershed moment in 1989. Um, it must be sure. Lee Wikipedia Burns, will be happy to teach us about. But I wasn't I, it I can't the guy? Know, what's I can't his name? Recall. Not um, Lee Burns, the guy over at um, CERN who came up maybe with the first browser. It's not the it's not the twenty fifth anniversary of the internet, is it? It's the twenty fifth anniversary of the World Wide Web. Yes, that would make more sense. Yeah, because okay. as you pointed out, the internet, which started out as a, a military security. a military kind of experiment to make sure that in the in the case of a all out nuclear war, that decentralized communications would still be able to support communication between different institutions, right? That's right. So have you been able to implement that model into your classroom? <laughs> Fallout? <laughs> yeah, it's when I'm do, running Duck a terrible... Cover, yeah. I'm doing a terrible lesson and all the students kind of break up into small Duck groups to survive the 90 minutes, right? What did you call it? Duck and cover. I, used, I called it duck and hope. <laughs> well, uh, Yeah, for those of you guys who are from the United States, but too young to remember anybody else. There were actually drills we used to have to go through. Um, Are you old enough for that? Huh. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, vividly. Yeah, yeah, because we're basically, what, four years difference between the two oh. of us? Yeah, you know where the teacher would go, okay, duck and cover, and you'd go beneath your desks, and you'd make sure you'd cover the back of your neck, and what was it? You turned your back towards the window, right? Yes, yes, they were not so facing them, the window. Yeah, yeah, but of course, teachers never could really answer the question of, Does this really, is this really going to help? <laughs> well, maybe not, but it's all you can do. <laughs> so you bet, better, you know, rather than run around the room and panic, you have better to have somebody under the desk in the control, yes. right? Right, little did we know growing up in Los Angeles that we were actually practicing for earthquakes. Mm. Save my butt. Which is sa- same thing, same yeah. thing, right? 
Get underneath the table. Get underneath something. Okay. So somehow we've already meandered off topic with our first three minutes of our episode. But So what are we talking about? We're talking about... In episode 47 today, we're talking about teacher-student interaction. Yeah. Hiding in, hiding in plain view, right? I mean, this the topic, right? The, the idea, the notion. Because it's... That was very well done, Tony. That was a really nice connector. I have to compliment you. I didn't see that one coming at all. Because <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a very nexus of the, the learning teaching experience, right? But it's always there, but it's invisible. It's just hiding in plain view. Yeah, no, you're talking about the teacher. You're talking about the students. Either and or, but no, not, not either. What's between them? Right. When you've got a teacher and you've got a student, there's something else there, right? And that's what we're going to talk about, that something else, that that interaction between the two elements. That dynamic, right? That Mm. special dynamic that is fraught with all sorts of... You don't even know what to call it, right? It's it's not a dynamic. It's... They don't know what to call it. (laughs) And and that's assuming we even know how to talk about it or we have anything to say. But we're going to talk about it, even though we don't know what it is. Right. And you have a story, I think, to tell. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. You talk about... You know the that dynamic between the student and teacher. This is um, my undergraduate days. This was uh, an advanced English class, and um, I was uh, I was not a good student. Um, I got very good grades, but I wasn't a good student. Um, I didn't I didn't know how to be a good student, and uh, this was um, a first period class. And the classes of this school would begin at eight o'clock in the morning. So, of course, that means it's a very small class. I mean, it's upper-level English class, 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the teacher was a nice guy, but definitely old school. And uh, I think there probably were total less than five, than five students registered in the class, my guess. And uh, I think regular attendees were probably two or three. But, of course, uh, there were some times... When I was the only one. And uh, you talk about odd student-teacher dynamics, partly because he was you know, really old school, and partly because I was Old school? A, I, I guess so. I mean, I was a passive learner. I just sat there and I said, okay, what do I have to We're do? We're going to talk about that a little later, but that's yeah. old school. And, yeah, and uh, th- th- this is the model of it. And, and this is you know, taken to its you know, <laughs> insane extreme. And so the class would begin, the bell would ring, and he would go into his lecture mode, and he would lecture this is to, with one student. With Two one students. student, me. Uh, because neither of us, I think, knew what to do. Um, so that's what happened. And at one point, I guess he got comfortable, and he kind of joked about it, about a story or whatever, where um, a professor would, you know, in his, in his elder years, as he was, would, after doing the same thing for every every semester for a number of years, so show up to a classroom and there'd be nobody. Not, there'd be nobody. I guess it was what do you a lecture? Message, message to me to <laughs> come to class every time. But he says, yeah, I says, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, they had a story this way that this professor would show up and lecture to an empty classroom every week. So there, there's a really interesting dynamic. Mm. So I guess I sometimes feel the same way. <laughs> it does feel like that sometimes. <laughs> it can really feel like that, even though the room is full. And I'm sure that's how the students can feel too. But sure, that's yeah, well, that's, that's, and that's the problem, right? I don't know if that's the problem, but it's one aspect of the problem. And this is a thorny question. It's vague it's ambiguous and we're going to try to get our heads around it right but we know that feeling we uh, from both sides from both sides right right the interesting thing for me is that there was no adaptation that with one student he's still this i'm assuming he right i think you said right 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 defaulted to a mode of interacting Right, as I said, that he, I was think just neither inappropriate of, for. Well, but neither of us knew anything else. That, right. that, that's the thing. That that's the interesting part about yes. like his his theoretical, you know, his short stories. Like, yeah, no one knew what, what else to do, so you just did what you knew how to do, and it, with no 
attempted adaptation because there were no options available it was outside of everyone's consciousness right you know, awareness is that there was there was no other model at that point maybe mm. for how people well at least for him and for us or... yeah for him and for us yes because there were so, i mean we, i had other teachers who did other things and were would be doing things very very differently but this was one of those situations where you know, i just like uh all of the worst factors all came together at once. Yes. So we're looking at this teacher-student kind of medium, this uh, how we cross this across the great divide, so to speak, between students and teachers. And I guess it's a long history of this, although one of the things... I found interesting is I can't remember if it was someone talking to me or it was a book I read or it could have been both. But the idea that if, for example, um, you know, um, someone from a thousand five hundred years ago, two thousand years ago, was transported through time into a modern classroom, that they would have no problem identifying what was going on, basically. They would mm. be able to understand that it was a teaching-learning situation. Mm. Yeah, and I've that, read that too. An interesting observation, right? Right. Is that essentially there has not been that much change in how teachers and students have interacted until I think rather recently. But of course, we can credit that to Thomas Dewey, right? Mm. Which is um, I just got done reading him, by the way, and uh, not my style of writer that I really like, but interesting to read someone from almost 100 years ago, um, very much ahead of the game, very modern in his thinking in terms of what happens in a classroom. So we should basically go through and kind of cover real quickly what's happened in terms of teacher-student interaction. It's kind of an interesting thing. And you start with the lecture mode. Okay. Right. And uh, where the idea is that knowledge is in the world, and that it's the job of a knower to fill the head, the tabla rosa, the blank slate, the empty vessel. Somebody must have been describing me of um, that person with the knowledge that's available. And this is the yeah, lecture. The teacher, yeah, the teacher is the information giver, the source of information, the lecturer. Right. And the student as the receiver. Right. And... This would be all those um, movies we've seen where the students... Uh, this is probably what you went through, I think, right? Where, well, all of us did sometimes, right? Yeah. Right, where you're just sitting there and somebody's talking and you're taking notes mm. or listening. And that learning basically occurred through listening, right? That you were just a recipient of this knowledge in a passive way. I don't think I could do very well teaching in that situation, could you? Um... Mm. I mean, actually, I'm a very preference. good lecturer, and I'm very interesting. And I have a lot to say, and that's why I'm doing a podcast. And the, all the you, listeners you, you in the audience are going. I mean, you do you, you do what you. I mean, right. obviously, it's not, your, it's not what you'd rather want to do, and sometimes you're forced into it. Um, I, I hesitate to say I couldn't do it, but I, it, I don't think it's the the it's most not, efficient way to do things, or the most interesting way to do, or the best way to do things. But sometimes, like. This guy that I had, maybe that's all you can do. Right. But, um, and we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this toolbox concept, which I think is where things have gone. But so you have the, the lecture model, right? The top-down mm -hmm. model, so to speak. And then I think things started opening up a little bit after Dewey with Montessori and the idea of experiential learning, the connection between learning and experience, the building of knowledge. And this is like the constructivist's and that's kind of almost in a certain way where we still are, don't you think, Tony? Pretty much. I think Pretty the, much. Right, yeah. the idea that knowledge is not out in the world, that it's a network, actually, of ideas, information that people take in and they build on previous schema and they integrate that and that they learn and that, students learn through a variety of ways and yes it's, a, it's an assemblage or a creation of uh data from the outside and uh, a framework or 
structure that's get gets built internally and that external data is then you know kind of somehow put into that structure and then the model based on based on brilliant activities and um tasks that the teacher has put together for the students to do such a thing it'll just be in learning will be inevitable well right and in that sense we know that learning is not inevitable in that right. kind of unstructured <laughs> environment. And this is, I think, also with the 60s where the whole unstructured freedom movement went in. And it, you, I think it's, um, it's discovery learning, mm-hmm. problem-based learning, where students just were thrown into a situation and that they would discover by themselves on their own a way to solve the problems or they would find ways to discover the right information. And at that point, the teacher's role had changed from being the giver of information more to, I don't know what I'm going to call the uh, the, the party host. Is that a good term to describe that? You're basically responsible for creating an environment mm. that is conducive for exploration and experimentation and freedom for people so everyone's free to dip into the refrigerator grab what they want go up to the shelves pull everything down anything down that they want put it down the floor and see what happens Mm -hmm. and in that sense the teacher is interacting with the students very differently from the lecture mode Mm -hmm. it's a very very different model in fact it's the opposite it's almost that dialectic right of thesis antithesis and this teacher has is pulling back completely and is not guiding in any way. And I think we'll have some things to say about the lack of guidance and how that affects um, learning. So I think it kind of evolved over into that. And I think now we're in a third stage, which um, involves kind of mediating between those two. And that is that the teacher can provide some schema, can provide background knowledge and when interacting with students and provides guidance, models, examples, the worked effect. Um, But it's, that's the overall, I think, approach or description we can use, but it doesn't really account for what's happening between the teacher and the student. Right. The actual interaction between them. That's kind of the model that's defining us. I think the the what's um, the paradigm we kind of walk into and deploy. But we're talking really about what happens between the teachers and the students rather than just how the classroom is structured. Yeah, yeah. But that the difference is completely astounding to me. The idea that a teacher would talk to students versus the more, I think, common idea now that the teacher is a facilitator of learning, setting things up so that the learning can be optimized and then helping students discover through a guided process. It's a very different way of interacting. There's less authority. There's more responsibility on the student. There's a completely different way of being in the classroom. Now, I think you're probably most comfortable with the current system. You like the situation where students are working and you're helping them, assisting them, kind of guiding them, pushing them, pulling them, prodding them, correct? Right. I, I do a lot, a much more, a lot more of that if I can. But I, I was curious, just like from, from your perspective, what you think when you look at... Um, the uh, that role of the, the uh, excuse me the party host and the facilitator what are the key differences there do you think between the party host and the facilitator yeah if you had to, like say it like in three or I, four seconds i'd call it the party host and the <clears throat> the dinner host you know the party host is okay the, you know they're running around. There's different good, groups. It's a good you're analogy. Making, you're making sure everybody's fed. Everybody's you know happy. Everybody's you know talking. But when you're the dinner host, you're kind of guiding the conversation, okay. making sure people participate, making sure the topic stays on track. Your job is to move things along. I think is probably the best way to say it. And that's yeah. how I would separate them out. What do you think? Yeah, that's good. No, no, I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. And. um 
Yeah, for myself, I certainly um, like to see as much of that um, uh, student-driven, student-centered uh, type of activity and learning. Um, and and but I think that with our students in Japan, I am finding a combination of those to be kind of successful. Um, partly because a lot of our students uh, aren't quite prepared, just, just like I wasn't in that classroom sitting by myself. I didn't know what to do. Um, they don't aren't quite ready for that. And somehow by, for example, beginning the class in with something in a lecture mode um, puts them at ease. It lets them know, yes, I am in school and I'm going to do this. And he, this is the teacher and I will do what the teacher tells me to do. And then you can turn the tables, so to speak, and say, okay, now I want you to do things by yourself. Of course, you know, sometimes you have to do this little by little. Um, but move toward um, more free type activity and, and more student initiations, more student-centered things, and give them more and more control and more and more freedom to do things. But yes, I mean, that is certainly what I strive for. Uh, in my classrooms, though I, a lot of times the students may not be ready for it. And frankly, a lot of them sometimes don't want that either. You know, a lot of them really prefer that that passive mode. And it's you know, I got part of my job to kind of kick them out of that mode. Right, and so your interaction with them is defined by that dynamic to some degree. Right. Is kicking them out of the mode, so to speak. Right, so you're wrestling with different things. You've got, you know, your ideal uh, scenario that you're trying to say like you did you know just like you said the, the dinner host this is what you want your dinner to go but someone's not talking so you you ask them more so john tell us a little bit more about this you know farm that you bought um you know whatever it, it might be and you need to prod some students more than others and prod i, I use that in a general way but uh, coax, I mean, whatever it is that you have to do to draw out certain students because they're... they're to gently nudge. Gently nudge. Well, yes. Yes, I think. And I think a lot of our interaction and when we talk about interaction, do we need to define that? It's a strange I don't think we can. term. I don't, I don't think it's, we can. It's such a... So it's when we're talking. Because it encompasses everything, right? It's anything right. It's anything and everything that you do, whether you're doing it's a lecture, whether it's a discussion, whether stu it's a, a student thing, whether students giving, for example, a re an oral report, whether the students are doing a debate, whether um, uh, it's some kind of question and answer or a check of homework or a check of understanding, so forth. So it could be some kind of Socratic question and answer thing going on. Um, Students could be talk, talk, discussing things among themselves um, or doing something a little bit more structured and organized where you're, you, as a teacher, monitoring and commenting. Um, it could be you demonstrating, you know, doing kind of a, a demo in front of the class. This is okay. This is what I, the, the conversation should be. This is what I want you to do. And then demonstrating the different roles or the ideal format or whatever you're trying to add, get the students to do. All of the, whenever you you or the students are doing any of those things, there is some kind of teacher-student interaction going on, and it's all different. And there's no, I don't, I don't know another English word that works better than the interaction because it's that thing again. It's that thing that's hiding in plain sight, this invisible plasma in the room uh, that is actually defining the actual experiences that everyone's having. Oh, the return of the ether. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's another that, dimension, kind. Of. I mean, you're almost working in another dimension, right? Well, it is. It is a dimension that's external to me, mm. in the sense that I'm engaging with students and or interacting with them, and I'm in it at the moment. There's right because there's no other way to be. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's always observing and watching, mm -hmm. and it's that kind of distant self. I think that 
teachers will understand, maybe people not in the teaching. Maybe it's something actors feel sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, I guess but, so. I guess maybe the real, you know, many actors probably get completely lost in the role. Right. But I don't think is it, I don't think the teachers have that luxury. You always have and to I think have. You, you're always in those. And I think that dimension analogy works. I think you're very, you hit it right on the button there. It was like, um, yeah, you are in and of the moment and you're also outside the moment observing. And that's a, I guess that's a, a skill that one develops and uh, mm. to, you know, to greater or lesser proficiency. But that's kind of how it feels. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like watching your dream. You're in the dream, but you're or an out-of-body out of experience. I haven't had you're, those yet, so. <laughs> but, yeah, this interaction. So maybe how we engage with students, how we uh, talk with them, work with them. And, of course, it's in a general classroom setting. We're in front of the whole classroom. And then, of course, it breaks up into groups as well as individuals. And maybe that's a big difference. I don't remember my teachers walking around the classroom to different groups when I was in junior high school or high school. Do you? Well, ideally you shouldn't. Ideally, uh, if the teacher did his or her job correctly, you would be so engrossed in the task with your peers that the teacher would kind of disappear from your perspective, from the student's perspective. Of course, the student is, I mean, the teacher is, is hovering, is monitoring, listening, um, measuring. Um, but ideally, I think, uh, at that point in the classroom, that the teacher kind of should be invisible. So it, the fact that you don't remember it happening, maybe, does, does, I don't know. I don't remember group work, though. I, hate, I, I remember it sometimes, and I hated it. Interesting. There was a lot of group work in my <laughs> master's program. Uh -huh. Same thing. Same thing. There was a lot of group work in my master's program. You know, the te the professor would have us get into groups to discuss things. And I just remember kind of going, "Come on, can we just move on, please?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we I had to work in we had to work in groups, and I'm just like, I don't want to work with these bozos. <laughs> You're the teacher. Yeah, you know, know more than these people do. Tell me what I'm supposed to know. Don't don't make me work with these guys because these guys are idiots. I don't understand why I'm doing this when we could be moving quicker, more quickly. Yeah, right? yeah, let's finish. Is that interesting? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I wonder how many teachers do group work who don't like group work. But on the I, other I wonder, hand, and I also you know, kind of curious now that I've just listened to myself. I'm wondering, it's like, geez, I wonder what my students think. Anyway, <laughs> well, actually, some studies do show that students don't understand the purpose of group work. Mm. They don't, uh, as you pointed out, they're especially in Japan, they're used to a certain way of being educated. They're used to a certain classroom experience. They're used to a specific kind of teacher-student interaction. And if you go in and you totally upend their expectations, and if you act in a way that they're not used to and have expectations for interaction between students that they're not used to or not expecting or not prepared for without getting them ready for it, you're looking at a pretty dismal situation because oh yeah it's yeah because natural. culturally yeah culturally especially here culturally surprises like that i mean in a in a social context things that you, know, you put someone in a situation where they don't know what to do that's awful i mean that's right. that's really very discomforting for people right and the as you've pointed out many times the role of sensei here is a very special role and as we have talked about too our our need to append that in certain ways. I think you've mentioned that one of the ways you really affect teacher-student interaction is you'll sit on the desk on the first day, right, and then point that out to the students while you're doing that, right. You'll challenge and their also, and also explain my discomfort at like standing at the front of the classroom and and operating in lecture mode. Mm. I think, I mean, how much they, how much sticks, I don't know, but I, I do explain that in every classroom. Right. And the idea of actually talking to your students while sitting down mm -hmm. is also just a breaking expectations. So one of the aspects of interaction that's really important is looking at what the expectations are and how to modify those expectations because human beings do not like having their expectations broken 
I think, for lack of a better word. And I don't mean modified. I mean really broken. And a lot of how I teach, I know, is very challenging to a student who's in their first college class, right? We're coming up at that point, you know, where you have to look at students who it's going to, you know, this new semester is in the process of, you know, starting and it's starting and you're there and it's a new group again. And there are freshmen who have had no college experience at all. And welcome to my class. That's a very hard thing. So that interaction is gentle, nudging, pushing, challenging, um, frightening, scary. What are we doing? What do you think is the best way? Do we need to push them along as much as possible, as quickly as possible to get them up to speed because our expectations are different. Well, yeah, certainly. And we're, I, I think, kind of put into a even a harder spot. I mean, if we were teaching chemistry, for example, um, it's it's much more natural or defensible to, to fall into that lecture mode. Um, the problem that we've got is that, you know, learning a foreign language, uh, the importance of use and application is paramount. And unfortunately, the, the, as, you, as you just said, you know, the kids that we get, especially university freshmen, um, haven't had, many of them haven't had any experience like that before at all. Even though it's been a foreign language they've been studying and learning, it's almost all been that lecture-driven mode. And there we are, trying to deal with that. So you've got, so you've got a, a number of things that you've got to do. Is one is like create it, but you've also got to um, present it in a way for people who have no idea what you're talking about. And either, whether it's the content, whether it's the English itself, which they're struggling with anyway. And they've got the cultural whammy of this foreign teacher interacting in some weird way. And then he or she is asking them to do this other stuff. And the, you know, unless you're really, as you said, gentle and good with it, um, that input, that request can be so overwhelming that, you know, it inevitably it ends up in paralysis. I mean, and, and I, last year we talked about one of my classes where, that was exactly the situation that I was confronted with. I, they came into my class. It was my last class of the week. I was tired. They were tired. <laughs> Stalemate. <laughs> it was a trip. It was, and it was really something. And I am so lucky that um, it turned out as well as it did. By the end of the year, it was really a, a very, very enjoyable class. And it was lots of fun. Mm. It's always nice when that happens. Oh, God. doesn't happen enough. No, no. <laughs> no it should happen it all the time would be great. So do you take the position of pushing them along or pulling them? I mean, should we? Yes and yes. I mean, you you have to do it all, all different ways, whatever you can. Sometimes you have to command and order it. Um, but how you measure out all those different ways of doing it based on the students and what might or might not be effective with the group or with the individuals therein. Um, it's uh, not quite hit or miss, though you're going you're gonna to have to experiment a lot of times and see what works and what doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a kind of a refined form of needs analysis or uh, lear learning styles. I know there's a lot of controversy about you know whether there are in fact learning styles or not. I don't know why, but there's some to be some controversy about it. Um, but the students with different learning styles that are in different learning experiences, what they know how to do, what they don't know how to do, um, what they what their expectations are, uh, what their abilities are, and the, the teacher's own strengths and shortcomings. Some of us are really good at some things, and we're not that good at other things. Um, some of us can be really entertaining lecturers. I've had in, in my university uh, experience uh, a couple of extremely entertaining 
uh, and very effective teachers, I mean, and also effective teaching uh, lecturers. Um, they were, it was a joy to go to their class and listen to them and learn. Uh, one was physics, one was medieval English. <laughs> um, yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, but they, but they, they just had, a, they had a, a, a gift or a skill um, of being able to do that. Now, whether either of them would be able to effectively manage you know, small groups working and, and doing different things. I, maybe, and may, it may be probable, uh, no, my knowledge of the you know, people, they seem like, you know, what you want to call capital G, capital T, good teachers. Um, but they have strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and who knows? And at the same time, people who are very effective, um, in smaller groups with, you know, manipulating group dynamics and guiding people and, and, you know, making the magic happen, um, in, in front of a, you know, a, a class, a large class where they had to do a, a lecture, you might have half the class asleep. I, I, <laughs> I like that making the magic happen. That's a yeah. nice phrase, isn't it? That's what we're really aiming for, isn't it? It's, it is kind it's of nice and title it, for it, your nice title for your book. <laughs> But I want to go back for a second, Tony, if you don't mind. The, sure. It's an important point in teacher-student interaction, I think, which means that it might not have any connection at all. You said about learning styles, right? There's a controversy there. Hmm. And I think as much as I understand, the real problem with learning style is the assumption that a person has a learning style rather than that they have different learning styles that are used under different circumstances, mm -hmm. right? In other words, you say somebody's a visual learner or an audio learner or a kinesthetic learner. In other words, I don't think that there's anyone who is one of those things all the time. And that, I think, might be the problem with learning styles, okay? And mm. the reason it's important uh, for us as teachers in this discussion about teacher-student interaction is that you're never... Okay, there's some research that's been done about student identity, right? How, you know, and that students' identity is changing, just like our, our who we are is contextually. Like who I am in front of the classroom is really, in many ways, feels to me a different person than when I'm at home or when I'm with my friends. I feel that my personality to some degree changes. Of course, I guess that means I'm schizophrenic, but you know, I'm sure my wife's like, ah, oh, you finally admitted time to go to the doctor. But when we're dealing with students, you're not just dealing with, let's say, let's give an arbitrary number, a class of 20 students is that those students are variable within themselves that sure. they're going to be in good moods or bad moods. They're going to be more receptive to learning one day and less receptive to learning that that one student has different ways of learning different things. And part of the teacher-student interaction issue is how do, you, how do you know when to be which way? How do I know at which point to interact with the student a certain way? Um, I know some students who, it's not that common, but I've seen it where a student will move along a spectrum of extroversion and introversion. They'll be more extroverted one day, more introverted another. Um, there'll be days when the student has more confidence or less confidence, and that has an incredible impact on their performance and their actions in the classroom and how they interact with me. So I just wanted to go back to the learning style thing because I think it expresses a lot that we are not just dealing with a constant in the classroom. Of course, there's very, you know, the number of individuals, but those individuals, as well as us, as well as the teacher, are in movement, are in flux about a large number of things. And that has to be addressed. I don't know, does that make any sense to you? No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because, yeah, of course, each of the students, you know, as individuals are going to have hot days and cold days. They're going to have different moods. In addition, they walk into the classroom and you've got another dimension going on there because not only do you have them as individuals, you've got them um, playing what they perceive to be the role of students. So they're, 
not themselves 100%. They are partly themselves and they're partly being a student. And at different times, the that proportion will shift and change. And what, how much they're into being a student or not being a student and what they're what's happening in their personal lives, you know, physical condition, how much sleep they had, what, you know, what, how well is their breakfast sitting, um, is going to affect their personal aspect. And all, as you said, none of those things are constant from, from class to class, or even from the beginning of class to the end of the class. Um, and then you multiply that times the number of kids you've got in the room. And, uh, tell me yeah. it's an easy job. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. There's going to be so much movement within that 90-minute period of time times the number of students. And you're adapting and juggling all along those. It's a it's a hard situation, but I think that when we are looking at how we interact with our students, that that's a hard part of it. And that you can't see them as being one way all the time. Yeah, that they're yeah, gonna. It is yes, and you know that comes into the whole role of feedback in teacher-student mm, okay. interaction. I think, and Good. Of, you know the the elephant in the room, so to speak. We should rename this podcast "The Elephant in the Room in Education" <laughs> because I think that there's all these issues that are always hiding in plain view. Again, that phrase yeah. coming up, but the importance of feedback and. I think I mentioned this in a may have mentioned this in the podcast, but I know I've mentioned it while talking to you that the uh, some meta studies done by John Hattie found that the major influence on the amount of learning that occurs in a classroom is the is feedback is the quality and the quantity of feedback. And the first time I heard this, I thought, oh, I have to make sure that I'm providing better feedback to students. And then I actually read the next <laughs> sentence where he pointed out that it's not that, it's the feedback teachers get from students, knowing where yeah. they are, how much learning they yeah. you know, is taking place, which tells a lot about just my ego. And that, <laughs> right, you know, I mean, you know, there you are laughing, <laughs> you know, at me. Well, if it's because we, we, we didn't mention Hattie before, but we did talk about that other dimension where while you're talking to the, the class or you're talking with the class or you're listening to the class, you're, you're physically there and you're engaged at one level. At the same time, you're also at, at this other, in this other dimension, observing and monitoring um, and looking for and reading exactly that, exactly that student feedback. Are they, are they getting it? Are they following it? Are they ready for the next step? Are they balking? Are they, have they lost interest? I mean, you've got to keep somehow while you're doing, going through the, the steps and engaging at a, at a very, you know, I don't want to say real level or the surface level, um, you also have to be aware at this other level of what is happening with all the different students in the class, and whether it's individuals that you're losing or you're losing a, a whole group. Is it is it working? Is it not working? Adjusting, tweaking as you go. Um, you've got to do those. That's got to be simultaneous. That that monitoring, that feedback that you're talking about, um, is critical. Yeah, and the idea of the feedback loop. Mm -hmm. is so so important is that i was just always thinking about you know there's corrective feedback and what's the research that's going on about how to provide corrective feedback and for example the idea of recasts and where the student says something and then you kind of say it back to them but with the corrections built into it that that's not really just a form of corrective feedback that's an interactive tool and that we need yeah. to look at what are the tools we have for interacting with the students that increases the amount of communication, that increases the amount of feedback the teacher is receiving. Um, and recasts are great because you can the student says something and you just don't have to use it as a way of correcting their English, but as a way of furthering, moving forward the relationship, moving forward the conversation. And it's a loop. I think that's the key. And I forget that a lot. 
that. Yeah, and um, we we talked about how things are changing and things, and obviously this is as you, as you what was you say about this topic? It was thorny. I don't think I used the word thorny. Thorny. What what, what was the word? I don't remember. Um, difficult, but difficult. Ambiguous, ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. But I understand. Yes. So we use. So we're talking about thing. We're talking about this thing. We really don't know what we're talking about. But we're talking about the evolution of this thing. And, um, we we in the podcast often talk about technology and things. And uh, if we step back and kind of look at how this kind of interaction between teachers and tutors may or may not involve. Um, uh, technology uh, is that going to change? Of course, you say that, and a lot of people immediately flip to like the uh, that image of a of a call classroom with students behind monitors and the teacher watching his monitor, his or her monitor, and the student you know interacting with you know screen to screen, and no one's talking to anybody, but they're all working, and you're you're looking what the students are doing, and make sure they're not browsing the web and they're on the right page, so to speak, and. Blah blah, you know that kind of thing. But um, not that, obviously. But um, can you see other ways that this dynamic between the teacher and the students um, might be changing with technology? I mean, like with you know their smartphones and whiteboards, um, stuff. Um, is there anything that you you've stumbled upon that? <laughs> I like might that. help things. I like that. I stumbled upon. I just, <laughs> I just think I'm stumbling all the time. Well, we're all stumbling. Yeah, <laughs> fortunately, I'm not falling flat on my face too often. First off, I think the big change is getting rid, in terms of interaction, is getting mm. rid of that screen between people. I think that's you know whether it's a tablet or a smartphone that. There's no longer that block, that that piece of hardware that, you know, has something between the student and myself or the student and each other. Right. You know, you open up your, your laptop and suddenly there's a barrier there. Right. It's like it's like the old. Um, what was the game we played when we were a kid? Battleship. Remember, you kind of opened yeah. it up and yeah. it was you. It's kind of a con. Um, what's it's a. Uh, it's not. Um, uh, open, warm kind of situation to some degree. There's a barrier there. It's almost confrontational way. So I think the fact that you know there's going to be something flat and no longer blocking people is one thing. But I think the use of smartphones in the classroom is going to have a can be just a real game changer. And people have to stop getting upset that students are using their smartphones in the classroom. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. like to my students. I'll, I'll go even farther. I'll go even farther. Like you're talking, you, you're just talking about being like, and I'm talking about being a barrier. And I, I'm not so sure because our kids, right. And they live with their noses in their phones for better, or for worse. I mean, everyone's got their opinion and whatever. But again, that's their, uh, background that's their experience that's what they're comfortable with and they're not comfortable um, with computers I'm, by the way smartphones right, yes. right right no that's all that's why i went right to the smartphones right and so to utilize that of course the computer is going to freak them out even more because they're not used to sitting in front of like a computer screen and a regular keyboard their phones they're very very used to so the thing would be to realize that first of all and uh use that in I think depending on one's own background and experience, yeah, we can you can look at that um, a computer screen as a wall, mm-hmm. um, or uh, you might look at it as a portal. But I yes, as a, as a, as a way of entrance, right? Yes, it's, it's that, whether it's a computer or whether it's uh, whether, I wasn't making a distinction between a computer and a tablet and a phone. Um, but certainly our students don't see that phone as a barrier or anything. That is their conduit to their world, pretty mm. much. Right. I'm just saying that I think that's one of the interesting things um, when you talk about stumbling yeah, upon yeah, is yeah, that yeah. I, I tell my students, first thing now is get the phone out. Get your smartphones out. You don't know a word, Google it, right? You don't know something, Google it. I I, I trust them that they'll you know, be able to use their phones in a nice way and talk about shocking students. Mm. You tell them that 
I expect you to use your phone during class. And speaking of that, so which is one of the things I've stumbled upon, um, and this is uh, what is called audience response systems, or commonly called also clickers. There's a thing, um, Socrative.com or Socrative.com, mm. and it's a free um, service that you sign up for that actually allows you to put like questions up on the board and students by just typing in a number to get into your classroom can then either the way with your setting either send information with their name or anonymously and respond to things and then you get that information in real time as so we talked responding. about that that feedback loop this exactly. is something that this is and when you have instead of looking at like a bunch of blank faces and say, are there any questions? Do you understand? Yes or yes no. Yes or no. <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, and that, 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 uh, that Socrative um, thing, <laughs> web app service, whatever you whatever want to call it, is, it. actually is a lot more f- flexible with things. But for something that just something that's that simple, you know, because in Japan, that's, that's not simple. When you ask, do you understand? It, that is... The hardest question to get an answer to. I don't um, know. Do I understand? I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. But, but, I mean, they know, but they're not going to say it. Right. And this is something I'm going to start using a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to try to use it this year, yeah, too. Yeah, it's easy. I've, I've I piloted it last semester with a couple of classes just to try it out. It lets you give quizzes. It lets you have students work in groups if you want. Um, they have something called a, a space race. where And just, uh, just but, uh, what we're talking about uh, is something called Socrative, like, yes. like Socrates. Socrative or Socrative.com. Socrative.com. Yes, I mentioned that, I think. If I you did, did. Okay. you did, but I wanted to mention it again. So okay, to thank you. I just thought, oh, back. no, did I not say that? <laughs> thank you for the feedback, Tony. <laughs> but what it's going to do is I'm going to use it mainly in anonymous mode, ask a question, get an answer, but every five minutes I'm just going to ring a bell I'm going to do the Pavlovian thing. I'm going to ring a bell and students have to type into their phone whether, you know, to what degree they're following me. You know, five, four, three, two, one. These numbers are going to come up. And the best part of it, in addition to my seeing how well students are understanding, is they're going to see how well other students are understanding. They're going to see that they're not alone when they say, I don't understand or I'm not getting it. And I'm going to be very curious to see how this kind of anonymous feedback, which is very, I think, necessary in a language classroom where there's so much face or ego is being dealt with, right? That yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's I and I'm just going to use it on a constant basis. I think not just as a quiz tool, but really as a tool to get feedback. Okay, do you understand? Or if I teach a new word, or if I teach a phrase, you know, just say for example to students, you can type in, you know, use this phrase, and then you tell your students, okay, everybody, write a quick phrase on your phone using you know, this word or use this phrase in a sentence and then it all goes up and then we're going to be able to see how people use it and make comments. And that to me is going to solve one of the great dilemmas of my teaching. Yeah, right, right. We talked about, you know, know, just take a step back and look at the big picture and talk about the evolution of this dynamic thing and move completely away from that, you know, the, this digital device as a, as a barrier but stepping ahead where this type of interactive ability uh, is built into every classroom. Right. So that every, every teacher, every classroom is like, yeah, this kind of is an automatic, while the class is going on, it's another layer of interaction where providing the instructor with uh, all kinds of direct feedback from the students so that you can... On the fly, you know, adjust and tweak exactly. and do what you need to do. I mean, and yeah, how valuable is that? I'm, we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. But the idea is that even if you don't have, let's say, a projector in the room, let's say um, you just have your computer, and then, again, I'm sure most of the people in our, our, our listener audience, you know, are using tech or using computers, and you don't have an internet connection, this is where, so Tony, you pointed out, which is 
spend the money to pay for one of those wireless internet connection. What are sure. they called? WiMAX, but you know the device itself. My uh, 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 um, Okay, right. A mobile, mobile router. Mobile, mobile router. Mobile Wi-Fi. Mobile router. Yeah. It's about the size of a phone, size of a smartphone, right. and it's a, uh, it it's a it's a router, and it hooks right. up to um, an LTE network okay. or four G, three G. Right. Three G is, is pretty much dead, but four G LTE network, and um, it's like a telephone. It connects to the internet via your via the provider and then it, it, it emits a Wi-Fi signal that you can connect to right. or, and your students can connect if to. necessary and yes but the yeah. right and it's one of those things that you know use it and if you have a cell phone right and it has the the cellular connection you're still going to be able to get to the Socrative.com and even if you can't put it on the board you know project it you can simply say okay everybody how Put down now whether you understand. Five, four, three, two, one, right? Five means complete understanding. One means almost nothing. And then you can take a quick look and you can write on the board to let right. students know. In other words, the... And if you use it all the time, you can even have like another device. You can have like a, a ball that moves from left to right. And mm-hmm. you know, say you, you do those questions, you can hear it as a, the middle spot. Here it says, I don't understand. Part of you, can, you can do all kinds of different things. That's a great point. You know, just put your water bottle on the desk. Right, and you tell students, or, or, this or if you want, you want to, to right. really get, if you really want to win your class, you get like a little Hello Kitty doll. And <laughs> I'm sorry, you, no, sorry, Tony. There are limits to what I'm willing to do. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Hello Kitty, and you know, the, in Japan, that that love of cute things, I never could understand. Is it why does Hello Kitty have no mouth and Miffy have no nose or something? It's really weird these characters, but that's getting way off topic. Uh, but mm-hmm. what I think we're talking about here is that our interaction with students has evolved to the point where there's no one way to interact. In other words, there's going to be multiple things we're doing in the classroom to get that feedback. And I think the defining thing that's changing in my teaching is that I'm trying to organize the classroom, I'm trying to organize the structure of how I do things, the activities, to maximize the amount of feedback I'm getting from students. That's really going to be the goal for the next year or two is to figure out how to maximize that input. And it goes back again to what I was saying about, you know, when I was reading from Hattie about the the biggest determinant of the amount of learning that occurs in the classroom is feedback, is I have to do this shift in my interaction with the students again. And I thought I had made this, but Hmm. it's them. It's about them. It's and I think you. I think you're going to have great success because I think those. Well, that I would be nice. The, yes, thank you, Tony. I, I think. No, no, because <laughs> because the students, the students are changing. Um, I think the students that we're getting, I think a little bit more year by year, are a little bit more um, able to do that. I think they're a little bit more able to express them at a very basic, like express themselves or express their needs, express their likes, express their dislikes. All that kind of stuff, and I think that by incorporating this little bit of technology um, is going to blow it wide open. Frankly, it's um, because they're in love with their cell phones. And the um, I had a pronunciation class for one semester, and you know can't do it, couldn't do it all the time, but I did it once or twice. Where and it's the, the first time was. It was like it was like a, a scene from a movie, where uh, I just casually mentioned that you know you know if you have a, you know a smartphone there are applications and you can do dictation and you can speak into the phone and it'll turn it into text and you can kind of you know, test your pronunciation that way. Mm-hmm. The phones came out and they they were <laughs> downloading the application and. In 15 minutes, the whole class, it, it, you know, the, the kids who didn't have, they were, you know, sharing and things, but they're all speaking into their phones. Mm. And it was just like, it was, again, it was, it was, it was like a movie or a TV commercial or something. It was, it like, was like Dead Poet like, Society and you didn't have to get up whoa, on the desk. Yes. Whoa. It's like, look at this. This right. is amazing. Yeah. This, this. And I think you'll have similar, I think you'll, you'll have some similar experiences when you introduce this kind of interaction. Because it'll once they get the yet the one two three four five, and 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 we learn a little bit more what the technology can do, and the technology will advance a little bit more. 
It said it's going to add a whole full new layer onto that interactive field that um, is going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's just it seems very rich to me because it's easy to use. It's very very easy to use, um, and it will actually this the service will after students have provided answers, you can actually download the answers into a spreadsheet or just download it as a message, which means you have that data for later. But I'm just thinking it's a great way to, you know, I can put quizzes up. I could have students working and start off all my classes. I always do with the review, but now I can say, get into your groups and list the three most important things that you learned in the last class and they can post it. It goes up on the board. Everybody sees it. Um, do you understand that's happening during the classroom? But also I'm looking at, kind of the the exit interview at the end of each class right you know where by before sure, students sure, walk sure. out of class they just have to answer three or four easy questions you know do you feel the explanations were clear do you understand what it is that you need to do for the next class et cetera, et cetera. what you know things did you have difficult or what was difficult to understand or difficult to learn et cetera, et cetera. and suddenly you can take that information and then you come back to class the next week and you can share it with the students and they're going to see that you're actually as a teacher you're not ask just asking them for input asking for their feedback but you're acting on that feedback that you're right. reviewing it and i think that means something there's meaning to it that you're they're going to be somehow to say hey i don't have to wait till the end of the year for when you've left the classroom to get your evaluations i'm getting your evaluations on a weekly basis and i'm adapting i'm adjusting i'm listening to you and i think that's going to be an interesting thing to see how it turns out i'm looking forward to that but talking about stumbling upon something this is a nice little tool it's easy to use the um, again, Socrative.com, the students. Yeah, I was going to say, and what's it called again? Right, yeah, and right. the students, the teacher has their site, and the students go to, I think, m.socrative.com. I forget exactly which one it is, but the fact that there's this tool out there and that the learning curve is pretty easy, that's really nice. <laughs> I get tired. I've been working trying to learn one piece of software, and I'm going on three weeks now, and it's just... It's just not practical for people. People are too busy. This really lets you get up and running really quickly, easily, and I think it's going to provide a lot of data. And I think it's it's made by a bunch of computer geeks who are educators also, which is nice. So, again, it's uh, Socrative, S-O-C-R-A-T-I-V-E dot com. Please take a look at it. It's, I think, something that can really change how we interact with our students and also i think it's going to be maybe the silver bullet for the shy kid in yeah, the class yeah, the kid's yeah. not going to have to raise their hand we talked about speak. it before yeah. it's like you know the kids in the middle and this and how do you reach the kids at the end but yeah for the for the, exactly for that walk for the wallflowers this is a this is a wonderful little gift <laughs> it's a nice little it's a nice service yeah it was very yeah when you we, we talked about it initially and i was and you were your you know, usual cynical intrigued. self and i was uh, yep. uh, i'm skeptical. sorry <laughs> you, you're critical i was skeptical Crit skeptical critical skeptical and okay skeptical is a better word but cynical <laughs> does apply to you as it does to me <laughs> and i said well that sounds like a really nice idea but yeah it's, it, how are they going to implement it and... implant the kids like oh it's just it's way too much but it is you know it's it's it, it, it is quite powerful but at its most simple impl implementation uh very quick learning as you said you can use it on the first day yeah it's nice uh, there's there's no there's really you write you write the thing on the board they they log into that and it's right then they, that's what they that's see. it that's it one two three four five right right then right all you gotta do is press a number yeah it's it's dead simple, and I think you you said it really nicely, Tony. Where you said it's really easy, it's up really quickly, but it's powerful in the sense that you can build on it, expand on it, and even there's a, a lot it, that you can right. Do but there. in its simplest form, in its minimally most simplest form, it's going to be able to let you ask the question: Do you understand? And you're going to get that, responses. That by itself. That, that by, by exactly. Itself. And that's, you know, that is the, um, 
what is it, the shibboleth? <laughs> that is the <laughs> one thing I look for in a piece of software now is will it give me one really valuable thing really easily? Mm. And so when we're talking about interaction, again, use all the tools that you can. Remember that you're working with people who are changing all the time and that our job really is to get as much feedback from our students as possible so that we can adapt what we're trying to achieve to their needs. And I think that's probably, probably the evolution of interaction right there is that we've gotten to that point, right? Which is adapt, evolve on the fly in the classroom. Do not just insist that you've got it down. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, it also he said at the very beginning it was um, it's this invisible ether, and again, very hard to define. But whatever methodology you're using, whatever textbook you're, whatever your teaching style, the learning style, whatever you're doing, whenever the kids are in the classroom and whenever you're in the classroom, with, with this this thing that we're talking about, this is what makes it or breaks it. It's the interaction between you and the student. It, it's what's in between you. It's what's, it's the medium where all the information flows. It is whether they're paying attention, not paying attention, where the information gets there, where it doesn't get there. Um, whether there's learning taking place, whether it, whether they're bored, all of this has happened in this stuff that we're talking about. And, yeah, it takes a whole lot of teacher skill to manipulate that and be aware of it at the same time the, he or she's doing all the other things which are also critically important. And, yeah, thinking, looking at how it's changed and how it can get better um, because, again, that's the, that's the medium through which all everything happens in a classroom. And it probably should be talked about a lot more the medium is the message hmm. yeah i think that's a good way to place to wrap up tony you said it very well okay at least you said something well i'm not sure if i've said anything <laughs> well actually no i usually don't okay so interaction and again i think both this is i should point out to the audience that for you to like something right away is unusual yeah you can point that out <laughs> <laughs> i think we're both like that that we're just so disappointed with most things we look at it and we can find problems well, yeah with it. we've been doing this one we're jaded i mean yeah i'll cop to that sure but this uh the socrative.com is a pretty nice piece of software it's got a lot of does a lot of things right you know, and, and but, but, but the best of all it's simple yes 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 and that that, that above all else because you know, you're busy enough in the classroom with, with all the other stuff. If you're going to do anything in the classroom, it's got to be simple. Yeah, I don't want to learn another piece of software again. And all the classroom mm. management service software is just, you know, the CMSs and the learning management Ooh. systems. They're just it's difficult. Ugh. I need something easy. Yeah. Okay. It's got to be simple. So, Tony in Chicago mm. and Charles in Osaka, we are two teachers talking. And we're two teachers. Two teachers talking dot com. Two teachers talking at gmail dot com. And Skype. Two teachers talking. And um, even though we've said enough, I will put the notes to Socrative in the on the web page. Right. I think. Um, and trust us that when both of us agree on something being nice, a piece of software mm, being it's nice, worth looking at. It's yes, it's worth. Looking I think at. this is what the future. Is. We insist. <laughs> this one's really worth looking at. Well, Tony, enjoy well, Chicago. Will do. Right. We'll Enjoy the vacation, and uh, yes. we will talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. <laughs>